All right. How are we doing, church? We doing all right? All right. I, uh, you know, being here on this stage where normally Jeff and Justin are unpacking the word for us is a little bit intimidating. It feels a little bit like, uh, you ever see those Facebook videos where all the NFL players get on the field and they let the four-year-old run for the touchdown? You know, you're like, oh, look at that kid. He's cute. His little legs. He can hardly even carry the ball. That's kind of what I feel like this morning, a little bit. If I'm honest, uh, let's, uh, let's stand together. I'm going to be talking to us, as Yona pointed out earlier. I'll be speaking from Colossians 3. just want to stand for a reading of the word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. And skipping down to verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. God, thanks for a chance to uh, talk about your word, to talk about your care for us, to talk about the work of your son Jesus, and talk about why it is that we gather together in this room each Sunday to celebrate you, and to recall the amazing things you've done in our lives, to look at the evidences of your grace. Be with us now as we, we learn from your word. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Preaching for the first time that you're confirmed uh, or presented as an elder is a little bit uh, overwhelming, if I'm honest. Uh, I know there are far more seasoned preachers than me, and there are far more articulate preachers than me. But there is no greater savior than mine, and so I will stand up here and tell you about him. I started serving in the local church immediately after I met Jesus in 1998, and I began vocational ministry and was confirmed as a pastor in 2004 at a church that I helped plant in Reno, Nevada called Living Stones. Our lead pastor is named Harvey Turner. That's who Jeff uh, referred to me as. We're both two tall, six-foot white guys, so apparently we all look the same. Uh, God's been gracious to confirm in my life in a variety of ways over the years uh, that I should be giving my life to the local church in a vocational role and being on a church staff until he said otherwise. Uh, my wife and I recently moved to uh, Cottage Lake uh, down in Woodenville. We love our neighborhood. We've been there just a few weeks. And the first neighbor that I got to meet was a, uh, a lovely and just very, very um, kind and compassionate Latina woman. She's about 65 years old. Her name is is Lorena. And I was standing in my driveway uh, with my real estate agent, uh, who actually comes here to Doxa, Romy. And uh, Romy walked inside, and Lorena came across the street and extended her hand to introduce herself. And, you know, she said hello, and I went to introduce myself. And I shook her hand, and she said, I guess you have a good handshake. That means you're a good friend. I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's awesome. She proceeded to then give me a bunch of marriage advice and talk about all the neighborhood dynamics. And then she said, uh, Donald, what do you do? And I said, uh, I'm actually a pastor. I'm a pastor. I work at a church in uh, downtown Bellevue. And she said, uh, Jess, do you look like a priest? <laughs> I 
It's like, oh, okay. I don't know, don't know what that means, but I'm going to take that as a, one more confirmation that I'm supposed to be in ministry. Uh, it's a privilege to be here with DOXA, to be on staff here, to serve here. I've never seen the kind of generosity and loyalty and faithfulness in a church like I've seen here at DOXA. I, I love this church. So with that, let's dive in. Now, this Colossians passage that we read is not specific to how to get the most out of a gathering, but it certainly is addressed to a church gathering, and so I think it'll be practical and helpful to that end. I plan on stacking what Pastor Justin spoke to us about a few weeks ago in regards to why we need the local church. Today, we're going to focus primarily on uh, the Sunday gathering itself, okay? Now, if you'll stay with me this morning, I want to look essentially at three things. I want to look at uh, two threats to our Sundays— and then the symptoms of those threats, and then some remedies for those threats. Okay? Threats, symptoms, remedies. If you're a Christian, it's no secret that you've signed up for a lifetime of this Sunday rhythm, right? Like, as a Christian, it's a normal thing for us to be here on Sundays. And so, for that reason, I hope that you tune in. If you're not a Christian and you're with us this morning, man, we're so thankful that you're with us. My hope is that our time together will help you frame up and begin to understand why Christians do Sundays and and why we gather together. I'll give you fair warning. Uh, I would guess that something in the next 40 minutes is going to, to land on you. I've been in local church long enough to know that some of us learn really through our headspace and more uh, intellectual, some of us through heart and emotions, and others through hands and serving and activity. And these threats affect all three areas, so I think we can all tune in for that reason as well. God wants us to understand, to desire, and to participate in this gathering. And all of myself, or all of us rather, Justin, Jeff, myself, the other pastors, the other staff, we are all uh, equally uh, capable of falling off the horse on both sides in terms of what we're going to talk about tonight. All right, so here's the big idea. Two imminent threats exist against the church gathered, overvaluing and undervaluing the weekly gathering. I'll say that one more time. Two imminent threats exist against the church gathered, overvaluing and undervaluing the weekly gathering, okay? Spiritual health is a lot like our physical health. If we neglect the basic things that we need, uh, you know, eating right, getting exercise, sleeping, then our health suffers, right? Uh, And the elders uh, here at DOXA and the staff have really doubled down uh, as it relates to doing Sundays and life together well. And when I say life together, I'm really uh, referring to what we call missional communities, We talk about it around the office in a way that's helpful, and I want to bring something out that's going to help you picture this. So this is a bike that a friend and I uh, built a couple summers ago, and when we talk about our gatherings and missional communities here at DOXA, we often talk about them as two pedals on the bike, and that they're both important and that we have to uh, really call our whole church family to pedaling on both sides and to being engaged and committed to both sides. Really, if you look at uh, church history, if you look at the scriptures, we can see that disciples are made, and the kingdom of God goes out in powerful and transformative ways when God's people do both, a Sunday gathering and life together. What I'm saying is, we need both pedals. You can think of today as a look at what happens when you either minimize or exaggerate one of those pedals. So keep that picture in mind as we look at our first threat, okay? Threat number one, we can undervalue the saints gathered. I want you to listen to some of these symptoms and let me know if any of this sounds familiar. If perhaps you've heard this in your own chest. 
many of us enter this room and there's a certain analysis that begins in our minds. And so the symptom of undervaluing the gathering uh, is hypercritical or being hypercritical. It sounds something like this. I did not like that sermon. That song is too loud. Oh gosh, they're doing announcements again. This is not how I would do things. When are we going to talk about, insert the blank, where's my favorite worship leader playing my favorite songs at my favorite volume? Does any of that sound familiar? Now the cure for this, let's look back at verse 2, is to think of what is above. So the way I like to put it is to ask above type questions. Why? Because Jesus is completely omniscient. That means he knows everything, including everything that is broken and screwy about you and I, and yet he still looks on us with love and mercy. Jesus isn't sitting in heaven with his arms crossed, hoping that this is finally the time when you figure it out. Or maybe, maybe this week you'll finally prove that you actually believe the things that you say you believe. He gives us full belonging and acceptance because of his work on the cross. Amen? All right. So then what is the godly criteria for Sundays? Well, were we a warm family? Did we make much of Jesus? Did we preach and sing things that are true? Did I personally make an effort to love someone, encourage someone, to greet someone? There's nothing wrong with evaluating our time together. In fact, our staff does that together every single Monday. We look back on Sunday and talk about what was good, what was not so good, what needs improvement, what needs attention. But we are all a lot better off if that critical, nitpicky spirit that's in all of us, if we're honest, if that dies, and instead we look for the big wins and to see what God is doing. We want to have an above-type vision. What I mean by this is simply that we're watching for God's fingerprints in our lives. It's way too easy for us to go through the motions when we come together on Sundays. If we're not careful, it's going to be like coming to the same song and dance over and over and over again. It can become dead and rote and lifeless. You're standing here or sitting here in the room, but the truth is, is that you're not really here. You're somewhere between completely asleep and standing in line at the DMV. (laughs) The cure for this is watching for God's fingerprints. Your response cannot be new if the recognition of his grace is not new. Back in verse 15, let's look back at verse 15 together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This theme of gratitude is so essential to our gatherings together. This is why this and many other passages point us to the importance of our thankfulness. Where did God show up for you this week? Was it perhaps a little situation or conflict with your spouse? Did you have a key conversation with your kids? Are you, maybe for the first time, you're getting some clarity around what you want life to look like after high school or after college? These are all important graces to be celebrated. They're new graces. And so when we come here every Sunday, we're able to celebrate those things in a fresh way. Symptom number two of undervaluing the the gathering. You dine and dash or break rhythm more than you make rhythm. So these are for the folks that, you know, you make it here once a month. Uh, The local sports schedule or the weather are the deciding factor in whether you can make it. Awkward silence. You watch the clock once communion ends, you take off because, let's be honest, if Jeff's done preaching, the main course has been served and I don't really need dessert. If you're honest, you're inconsistent. Maybe you're here late, you leave early, maybe both. You're rarely here or on time or undistracted. 
The remedy for this is to bring your full self to the full gathering. Why? Because Jesus gave his full self to the plans of the Father for your full and final salvation and future. I want to say that one more time. Jesus gave his full self to the plans of the Father for your full and final salvation and future. Now hear me out on this. I know for a fact that real life rarely happens on time. Totally get it. I know that traffic and weather and kids' temperaments are a very, very real factor, especially for the young families here at Doxa. I understand the complexities of getting two tiny, unregenerate humans out the front door in the morning. That is no easy task. And all the parents of young kids said, amen? Yeah. But I also know that you generally will compensate and recognize those factors when there's a dinner date or Seahawks game. Yeah. That's not really what I meant. Yeah. Or even a meeting at work, right? We compensate and recognize those things and those challenges. So I'm not interested in legalism or guilt or shame because Jesus is too good and grace is too rich. That's not why I say this. And I know that we're all going to miss some Sundays. I myself missed a Sunday a couple weekends ago. And I believe that Jesus was very much alive and well with me at Lake Chelan, let me tell you. It was gorgeous. What I'm saying is let's make it a priority to be here. Do your best to come often and come on time. Part of being here fully is getting here at the top of the hour. So that means, dads, you've got to help mom rally the kids. That means, mom, you've got to communicate uh, how you'd like dad to help out. If you're a high school or a college student, that means just crank that alarm clock back maybe 10 or 15 minutes. You can do it, I promise. Be here for the full gospel narrative that we weave through the liturgy each and every Sunday. Now, I love the tribe that Doxa lands in. We're kind of the reformed missional tribe. And if that term doesn't mean anything to you, please do not Google that term. That's about as dangerous as talking about politics on Facebook. I do not recommend that an ounce. Um, the Reformed Missional Camp is known for some good things, though. We love our Bibles. We love people that don't know how they feel about Jesus yet. We love engaging what's happening in culture. But do you know what the rest of Christendom thinks about us? They think that we're weak on our Trinity. And if I'm honest, I think that they might be right. And here's why. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Now, I'll make a very strong case for why the Bible and God's Word and the Scriptures have to be central. And that ultimately, Jeff and Justin and anybody else that takes this stage is going to preach from the Scriptures. That's established, and I know that we are people that love our Bibles. But we tend to be a little weak on the side of the Holy Spirit. The tribes that do love the Spirit, yeah, they get a little wacky at times, for sure. But I stand by the fact that we can learn a thing or two from them as well. They know how to sing. They know how to respond. Like, candidly, a lot of them don't really care that they're going to get out of here on time. They would much rather be concerned with hearing from the Lord when we gather. I love that. For all of those in here that hold this book in high regard, if you are the kind of person that believes that the sermon is, is the meat and that the singing is the dessert or that the music is the opening act and the sermon is the headliner, you are a walking contradiction. And let me tell you why. Gathered worship is essential and commanded right here. Worship isn't defined or exclusive to our singing together, but it certainly includes it. The same book that you hold up demands that you be here to sing with God's people through songs and psalms and spiritual songs. The church's songs, which are predominantly straight from Scripture, are one of the marks of Christian maturity. 
They are not a secondary bonus assignment for those that don't have any weekend plans. Let's not forget that God chooses to move through times of song and music as well. Think about Paul and his jailbreak. Think about Jesus at the Last Supper, singing with the disciples. Every single revival in Christian history has been accompanied by a movement in the songs of the local church. Some say, you know, I'm just not really a music person. Okay, I get that. Here's the thing. There's no such thing as non-music persons in the kingdom. There's not. You may not be the type to sing in the car or sing in the shower or whatever, but when the family of God gathers, you are automatically and definitively a music person. God has always intended the gathering to be uh, receive and respond, receive and respond. That's why we preach the word. We come in here, we, we recalibrate our hearts with a few songs. We hear the preached word and then we respond to that truth in songs. It's head and heart. You have to have both. Christians that listen to teaching but don't respond in the ways that God has instructed the local church will eventually evolve their spiritual bodies into being headstrong but heartless believers. They'll be prone to wielding the word like a sword instead of a bridge. We need both. Bring your full self to the full gathering. This is why each week I lead worship on the stage, and then when my portion up here is done, I pop down at 11 a.m., I find my wife, I find my missional community, and I sit down and I hear the preached word, because we all need both. One last thought on undervaluing Sundays. God is present when the saints are gathered in a special way that theologians have spent a lot of time trying to articulate. This makes some of us uncomfortable, those of us that love our theology, because this particular area is not super clean or tidy. It's not easily shelved or categorized. It's not a piece of computer code. It's a little mystical and transcendent. But if we are inviting the God that created the entire universe, the God who let you wake up this morning, according to Psalm 3, I might add, if we are inviting that kind of creator into our presence and worshiping him, we should not be surprised an ounce that he is with us in a special way when we make much of him. All right, so before we flip the coin and look at the other side, let's recap. If we find ourselves undervaluing the, ga- the gathering, neglecting Sundays, that pedal on the bike, then let's evaluate with above-type questions. Let's have above-type vision to recall God's evidences of grace in our life, watching for his fingerprints, and let's bring our full selves to the full gathering. You guys tracking? All right. Threat number two, we can overvalue the saints gathered. That probably sounds a little strange coming from a worship pastor, right? But it is possible that along the way you have actually placed too much expectation on this 90 minutes, that you have leaned so heavily on a Sunday gathering that it has crumbled beneath that weight, resulting in you being disappointed, uh, disillusioned, and maybe even kind of wondering why we're even here at all. It's possible that in the 168 hours that God has given each of us every single week that you're simply leaning on this 90 minutes too much. And I'll explain what I mean. And as I read through these symptoms, I want you to, again, be honest with yourself. Do you hear any of this stuff in your own chest? Maybe you're disappointed that sometimes Sundays don't feel like fireworks. Maybe you're disappointed with how quickly the glow that you feel when you're here fades as you leave. Maybe it seems like you get entangled in all the old snares rather quickly when you take off from here. Maybe you're relationally disappointed. 
You have a growing list of people that you avoid or really don't want to talk to. You frequently recall a previous church experience and compare the current to that. You long for deep relationship where you're really known, but you find yourself sabotaging that same longing by keeping people at arm's length, uh, demonizing others, pointing out their sin, their problems, their conflict. Nobody knows what, beha- what happens behind closed doors in your life. Nobody's speaking truth there. Nobody knows what you're afraid of. No one buys you a drink or cooks a meal when you have a big win to celebrate. You show up on Sundays, but if you're really honest, you're not really experiencing the things that the pastor is preaching on. Does any of that sound familiar? The remedy for this, the remedy for overvaluing the gathering, is to remember that the gathering is essential but not sufficient. Okay, let's say that together. I'll say it one more time and we'll say it together. Remember that the gathering is essential but not sufficient. Let's say that together. Remember that the gathering is essential but not sufficient. Okay, now why? Because we're made in the image of a relational God that goes with us when we leave this place. And we have relational needs that cannot possibly be satisfied by our 90 minutes together on Sundays. Listen to me. You will never find the relational depth that you need, that your soul requires, that it's hardwired into you by being here on Sundays alone. Some of you have been on that diet plan for decades in your Christian life, and you're not the exception. You need real community. Here at DOXA, that plays out in what we call missional communities. You hear about it from this stage almost every Sunday. Sundays and missional communities are the two pedals on the bike for us here at DOXA. And we will not abandon one for the other. That means we're going to allocate our resources and our staffing to try and do both as well as we possibly can. Pastor Justin unpacked this idea uh, beautifully a few weeks ago, which, by the way, if you do not hear that message on why we need the local church, I cannot urge you more strongly to, to go do that. There's a difference between going to a church, which connotates a place, and belonging to the church and being the church, which connotates a people. One comes to receive, the other comes to give. One comes to be impressed, the other comes to host. One comes to critique, and the other comes to celebrate. You know why you need community beyond Sundays? I mean, there's, there's literally a hundred reasons. Uh, but I was just recently reminded of one of the many reasons why we need community outside of Sundays. Because there are so many competing voices. I was on a Bible website uh, several weeks ago. It was a Bible website, and I won't tell you which one. And there was an advertisement over in a big banner across the top of the website. And it read, Be all you can be with these Father's Day devotions. A call to better oneself and try harder on a Bible website. Can you see the irony here? Can you see the, the disgusting silliness of that message? The message of the Bible is not that I need to try harder to do better and try and be all I can be. I don't need to be all I can be. I can be an impatient and hypercritical jerk. I can be a workaholic. I can be insensitive. I can be a self-absorbed idiot. I need Jesus alive in me chipping away at the things that are in me that don't look like him. I need community. I need people that I give permission to to speak into the brokenness that they see in my heart and in my life, the real stuff, to watch my life for me, to pull for me when I'm struggling, to cheer with me when I'm celebrating, and just be there in the everyday stuff of life. I want to say something uh, super honest, and I hope that you hear me. It is God's design that we not only go to church, but belong to one, 
and that, hear me say this, inevitably, 100% of the time, that will lead to us being frustrated with somebody else in the body. You hear me say that? If you do life on life, you will, 100% of the time, eventually, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it'll, it's coming for you, you will eventually be frustrated with somebody else in this room. Can we please stop acting shocked when people in this room rub us the wrong way? Let's not be surprised that we're still desperate for grace. And though we are often just as sideways and self-centered as those who never step foot in places like this. Let's do the math together, okay? Messy lives plus messy lives equals... Let me hear it. Lots of mess. That's right. Last service he said chaos. I was like, yeah, that's great. That's a great word for it. Real life is messy. And real life, stacked on real life, is even more messy. Here's the thing. That's okay. We have a very patient dad at the top of this family. And I'm not talking about Jeff, okay? God the Father is very gracious towards us, amen? And he walks with us and he helps us sort out these things. That's why the passage tells us to win. We, are, we have grievances that we forgive one another. And here's the thing. It's tough. It is so tough. I planted a missional community up in Woodenville uh, several months ago. And I'm just telling you, in the last couple months, we've got out of the honeymoon stage. And now we're into some more of the real life stuff. And it's totally messy. And it's awesome. It's beautiful. Our sin will prick and cut those that we're walking with. This is why we need these verses. Looking back at Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Look at all these action verbs. Seek the things above. Set your minds. Put to death. Put away. Do not lie. Put on. Bear with another. Forgive one another. Be thankful with one another. You guys all know your Bibles well here. I know that. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was asked about the most important commandment? What did Jesus say when he was asked to distill down all of Christianity into, into one statement? Love God, love your neighbor. That's right. Okay. Is it possible for us to love God and love our neighbors fully in 90 minutes on Sundays? Is that possible? I mean, seriously, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about your expectations for why we're here can we even possibly do that? No. No. There's no chance. This is why everyday life within the local church is the environment for working out all of the one another's that we see in the scriptures. If you're trying to do that here alone, you're giving Sunday way too much credit. There has never been a person in all of humanity that was called to God and not called to God's people. And if you overvalue the Sunday gathering to meet your relational needs, you're going to come up empty. Uh, several years ago, I had the, uh, the privilege and the opportunity to travel quite a bit uh, with uh, some different worship bands and uh, an improv comedy group that was a ministry thing. And so, I mean, we went to 43 states, uh, drove, I mean, we drove 60,000 miles in nine months. Uh, so it was, a, it was a lot of driving. Uh, I got to know the inside of that 15-passenger van quite well. I was 36 inches away from two other professing believers. 36 inches for most hours of the day. We had same age and stage of life. We had shared work rhythms. We had common interests. But there was no depth there at all. We didn't encourage each other. We tolerated each other. We didn't lovingly challenge each other. We lashed out when we got frustrated. 
it suffocated any shot we had at healthy Christian community. And though Jesus was certainly at work, because he always is, he was not at center. You and I need real community with Jesus at center in the everyday stuff of life. Because that one pedal, that one Sunday pedal is not sufficient. If you want to live against the grain of our culture, here's what you do. Fight for human interaction. There's evidences all around us that human act, uh, interaction is dwindling. You've got automation of business transactions. You've got online communication. I mean, generally speaking, if your house today has a legitimate front porch, I don't mean like one of those little rink-a-dink front porches that they try and slap on all the Californication homes that they're building like crazy here in the Pacific Northwest. I mean like a legitimate front porch. Your house is what, 40, 50 years old? There's evidence all around us. Our front porches have disappeared. Backyard fences get taller. And yet you and I still need real community. It's interesting, we find ways, we know this intrinsically, we find ways to, to sometimes substitute artificial, cheap counterfeits for the real thing. The term Facebook friends to me is a laughable example. Who showed up when my wife and I, several years ago, had a miscarriage? Who came by the house when my grandfather, the most present man in my childhood, passed away? Who mourned and cried with us as we left our church, our friends, and our city to come answer God's call to be here in Bellevue? It was not my Facebook friends. It was real people that loved us well. We are made in the image of a relational God. We cannot be starved of this basic need. If you are chronically disappointed at your walk, it is possible, it's possible, that you are demanding too much from this short time together, that you're overvaluing the gathering. And there is life abundant waiting for you on the other side if you're willing to pedal on both sides. All right, symptom number two of overvaluing the gathering. Your spiritual life is feast or famine. You're exhausted by the time you get here on Sunday. Things are crazy at work. The week flew by. You haven't cracked your Bible since the Olympics started. You're hoping that when you walk in here, the clouds part and the roof rips off and something incredible happens because you're dry. And honestly, you just need a recharge. Gas me up, Pastor. The cure for this is to remember the long play. And like we said, to use both pedals. Why? Because God doesn't let go. He finishes the work that he starts. And to borrow a phrase from Pastor Matt Chandler at the Village Church in Texas, sanctification is a crawl, not a sprint. Parents have this expression, uh, long days, short years. Raise your hand if you've heard that expression. Long days, short years. Usually refers to parents of little ones, right? Because those days just go and go and go and go and go. And then you blink and you have a six-year-old, right? This is true in church life as well, I think. We can overvalue the purpose of a Sunday and think that it's supposed to be this massive spiritual calorie intake. Maybe it is. But did God ever intend for your walk to be one of starvation that is broken up by an extravagant feast every seven days? Absolutely not. The Sunday can be a culmination, sure, or an anchor to the week, but it was never designed to be a one-stop shop where you just grin and bear the other six days. Notice in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell. I want you to dwell on that word dwell. This is helpful for us to remember that Sunday is a feast, yes, but it's in a much bigger meal plan. 
Think of Sundays as an incremental portion of a much longer journey. The reward is in the reps. Another way to look at this is that we need the time and space and reps for the full flavor of everything that doxa is and will be to seep into us in our lives. We have to marinate on these truths. And you know this instinctively. Jeff is brilliant when it comes to missional communities. And yet, if you're in a missional community right now, if you're really honest, you could probably say, that, like, things are a little messy. We're kind of figuring stuff out. You don't just get it all on day one, right? We need time to work these things out. It's the long play. When you think over your life, you can probably remember a few meals that were just completely epic, just totally changed your life. But you eat over a thousand meals a year, right? And our gatherings aren't completely unlike that. We have a long and beautiful road ahead of us as a church. And there's going to be times where we so sense the presence of God that it leaves us truly changed forever. And then there's going to be Sundays where we show up, we maybe drop the kids off, we hear the preached word, sing a couple songs, we do communion, say hi to some friends, and then head home. Here's the thing. That's okay. It's okay. The rhythm and the reps of that, it's okay. The beauty of church life is found in the difficult and long-lasting commitment to a people and a mission. I want to say that again. Please don't miss this, church. The beauty of church life is found in the difficult and long-lasting commitment to a people and a mission. There are no substitutes and there are no shortcuts. So we've looked at how we can both undervalue and overvalue the gathering. Now let's briefly look at the why behind what we do. I don't know if you're like this, but ever since I was just a little guy, uh, I have always needed to know the why behind I was doing anything. My mom says that when I was little, I would refuse to do my homework uh, because if I knew how to do the math problem, why do I need to do it 30 more times to prove that to somebody else? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? Maybe you can relate to that. So let's look at the why of the, the key elements of our gatherings together. A lot of these are covered in the Colossians 3 passage. He says, if then you've been raised, and then he goes down to verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so number one, we preach and sing the word. Why? Because we need something unchanging but timely to recalibrate us because we all tend to drift. The preached word awakens and assures us. Romans 10 and Galatians 3 say that faith comes from hearing. It's a big deal. We preach to encourage, to challenge, to equip, to correct, to grow, to deepen, to magnify, to comfort, to strengthen. There's an endless list of benefits to why we preach and sing the word. Words matter in God's kingdom. God created by his words. He leads us by his words. He defends us by his words. Mount Rainier stands in the place that it is today because God at some point spoke and said, mountain there. We balance exegetical or walking through the text teaching with subjects that are helpful for our body because we want to make sure that we diagnose and apply what God has for our people. But we're always rooted right here in the scripture because this is the authority. Amen? All right, number two, we remember Christ's death and communion. I'm not going to spend any time on this because Pastor Justin will do so later when we head to the tables. But I would say that uh, most of the elders here at DOXA subscribe to the position that communion is more than just a simple symbolic ceremony, but that God is spiritually present in the elements and that we experience God in a unique way when we do communion. Number three, don't miss this one. We gather to scatter. 
You being here on Sunday is a part of your equipping and your training. We're here to, in part, yes, to encourage you, but also to teach you how to say and articulate and communicate the most important things that you know about the gospel. The gospel never terminates in us. It always serves a purpose beyond us. In fact, if this gathering does not prepare us to scatter, then we have actually missed the mark. Who needs to hear what you're hearing now? Yes, make sure that it starts with you. We don't need hypocrisy. But ask God who else needs that truth or encouragement. Part of gathering to scatter is that we watch our language. What I mean by that is we try to avoid uh, using insider terms or language that people that were not a part of the community would not understand. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but we do our best to try and, and set that stuff up well. We're also paying attention to how we communicate and where we communicate. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I went camping for the first time as a family at Lake Chelan. I mean, it's, it was glamping, let's be honest, but it was still camping. It was a good introduction for the kids. I got a six-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter. And so the campsites are, it's a little short uh, paved road and then uh, like a water pump and an electrical outlet, you know, so you can charge your cell phone because you're camping. And, <laughs> and then there's like a sandbox and then this lush green lawn, just beautiful, beautiful lawn. That's an important detail. So we get in there and we get the tent set up and we quickly realize that uh, there is no way that my wife and myself and my son and my daughter are going to fit inside of the tent that we have with us, right? Especially because, I don't know, the rest of you young parents, my two kids, they sleep like helicopters. They just spin and spin and spin. It's crazy. Uh, a couple times, you know, they have a bad dream. If they jump in bed, you end up getting, like, punched and kicked. It's just, it's awful. So we were not signing up for a night of that. So I get this bright idea that, all right, mom and my daughter, Harper, they'll sleep in the tent, and dad and Oliver, my son, will sleep outside under the stars. Now, this is during the Perseid meteor shower a couple weeks ago, right? So I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. So we get out there and get all situated. Kids are loving it. Everybody's happy, shooting stars. Awesome. Fall asleep. About 2.30 in the morning, I'm in, you know, I'm in my, my little mummy bag, my sleeping bag, and I hear, I was like, what in the world? And I sit up, and I, and I feel it this time. It goes gah, 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 across my chest, and I realize the sprinklers are on. <laughs> okay? Now, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, sprinklers to me, when I think of sprinklers, I think of, like, these little rink-a-dink residential sprinklers that kind of <laughs> spit water out in the lawn. That was not this kind of sprinkler. This was like a water cannon, okay? Big old, I'm not, I'm not even kidding you, they stood this high off the ground, Big old industrial, just massive stream of, it felt like I was getting shot by a fire truck or something. And so one of the other couples that we were with jumps out of the tent, and they go and flag down the maintenance guy that's driving around on his little quad gator. And his response was, well, you guys sound the paperwork. Sure enough, we go back to the paperwork, and down in paragraph seven was a deal about what nights are watering nights. Yeah, helpful information when you're camping, huh? So... I say all that to say that's not a very successful delivery of information. And so that's one of the things that we're paying attention to here at DOXA. We don't want to just say the right things. We want to say the right things in the right places and keep you guys informed. We've, uh, we've talked a little bit this morning about practical ways that we can avoid undervaluing or overvaluing the Sunday. And as a staff person, I want to talk about a few things with you as well. We've talked about a lot of your role. Now let's talk about the staff role here. We're here to equip the saints. 
So we're going to continue to strive for fresh expression and faithful Jesus-focused gatherings. We value creativity because in creating, we mirror our creative God. So you're going to see creativity poured into uh, sermons and the teaching and art. Uh, Myself and some of the other musicians here at Doxa have just recently started the process of trying to write songs for Doxa. And this is not because Jesus needs a facelift or to be made relevant, but because his beauty and his strength are inexhaustible. You can't get to the bottom of it. You can't chart it out. You can't fit it on a spreadsheet. You can't possibly fathom the millions of degrees of perspective that we can have on God's power and kindness, on his mercy and grace that he's poured out on his people. In the end, the most impressive thing about our gatherings has to be Jesus and his work. And this is exactly why Doxa will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's our part. All right, church, two threats. Is it possible that you've overvalued the gathering? Have you tried to get a week's worth of calories in one sitting? Have you tried to do relationship and connection and recalibration in one stop? Have you undervalued this gathering? Have you neglected the essential rhythm of being here? and getting all of the benefits that God provides to us through the saints gathered. The gathering is essential, but not sufficient. You see, we've all been saved by a Savior, to a people, for good works, and into a spiritual family. So let's get together in this room every week, not as consumers, not as critics, not famished from a week of neglecting what really matters, but as a broken and hopeful people. Because God made all things And then humanity rebelled because we believed that we could do things better and that God didn't actually love us or want our best. That's the lie. So we ran away. We tried to distance ourselves. This led to more destruction and more pain and more conflict. Finally, God the Father sends God the Son to walk the earth and be a human like us that he can be our substitute and pay the price for our rebellion. His perfection traded in for our mess. His obedience for our rebellion. His sacrifice for our selfishness. And now the Father says to you and to me that if we want to be in his family forever, we only need to trust Jesus and his work on the cross. And here's the best part. Every time we gather on a Sunday, it's kind of like those little samples you get at Costco, right? I love those things. Oh man, I love those things. I will only go to Costco on Saturdays because there's more of those sample ladies out dishing those things out. Sundays are kind of a little bit like that. It's like a little bit of a taste of heaven. God is with us here and now, and the kingdom is moving here and now. But there is still brokenness in this world. Amen? When we get to heaven, we're not going to be caught up in our preferences. We're not going to be wounded by others. We ourselves are not going to wound others because the presence of that mess, that chaos, and that self-serving death will not only be powerless and paid off, but no longer present. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, just to close here, our gatherings are not about our effort. It's about God's work. So the last thing I want you to do is to grab or latch onto something I've shared in our time together and say, I'm going to try and do that better. I'm going to try harder and knock that out of the park. That's not what I'm asking here. What I desperately want for you to do is to look at Jesus Remember who he is, how deep his love runs for you. How many times have you turned your back on God? And how many times has he welcomed you back? His grace does not run out. 
Let's remember the new graces of the past week together. Let's recall the ways that we've seen his fingerprints on our lives and recall these evidences of his grace in our life. Let's come together. Yes, because we're commanded. But also because we get to. Because we can. Because God is worthy of a life of praise. And that certainly includes our Sundays together. So let's pedal together. Pray with me. God, thank you for a chance to share my heart with your people. Thank you for this family that I belong to. Thank you for the ways you have already done miraculous things through our community. We pray that in this next season of ministry, God, that you would reveal yourself in powerful ways. That we would see you and your fingerprints clearly in our lives. Help us not make too much of this time together and help us not neglect this time together. We need each other. We need you. We need this rhythm to help us recalibrate. We need you to refresh us and encourage us and challenge us here in this time. So do that in us and through us and for us week after week. We thank you, God. Pray these things for our good, our peace, and your glory. Amen.